certainly want to uh, gush about your band and get into the exclamation album and get your opinion on a couple things, but uh, I kind of want to do uh, talk band stuff. My name is is Mike, and I was in you know bands as a kid growing up in high school and college and stuff. And I was in a band at one point where there was another Mike in the band, so there was two guys with the same name, and he ended up becoming Mike E. And I'm always curious when I see bands that have band members with the same name as in your band you got two jacks does one get the the last name treatment or the jackie treatment or how do the other band guys when when they're trying to get a hold of you versus the other jack in the band how do they refer to you it's been a career long confusion for everybody but we we decided to instead of giving somebody the uh second place position guitarist jack is jack collins we call him jc i'm jack undercoffler they call me ju Ah, okay, so everyone gets initialized rather than the last name treatment. Okay, I figured it was one of those options. I love it, man. (laughs) And uh, wanted to go back to to the the Berkeley days and uh, talk a little bit about that in the beginning of the band. And, you know, I thought it was a really fascinating story. Would would hope you would uh, share with my audience, kind of going back to you at Berkeley (laughs) and then changing your uh, major from guitar to vocals. Yeah, yeah. So basically what happened was I I originally went to Berkeley for guitar, as you said, and uh, I was in my end of sophomore year, I think it was, and I was in a guitar blues lab, which is about as horrific as it sounds. It It is 15 guitarists sitting in a room all playing at the same time. Basically what would happen is towards the end of the class, everybody would be jamming on some sort of like chord progression or something and each person would take a solo. And I was all the way at the end of the line and I was just watching each person solo. And it was just going down the line and I was just watching and just being like, hmm. And then it got to the person right before me and then it just hit me. I was like, I suck at guitar. (laughs) And so I just, I like the instant that class ended, I walked straight down to the, uh, to the guitar principal office and switched over to vocals right away. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to pursue something that I know that I'm a little bit better at here. (laughs) That's a hilarious story. And it also begs the question, like, had you been singing in bands before that? Or did you just like have a moment in the shower and go, you know what, maybe it is time to pursue the singing thing. I had a band in high school. It wasn't something that was like super serious. Uh, I've been singing, you know, pretty much all my life, but I never really sang rock music until I got into Dead Poet Society. I was I was doing like a like Jack Johnsony, like John Mayer stuff, real soft vocals. One of my singing inspirations is Miles Kennedy oh, from yeah. a band called Alter Bridge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of people are familiar with him, and I would just like you know screw around and, and like. Uh, sing to that kind of music and just because i liked his vocals and how like he was his range was insane but yeah it wasn't till i got into dead poet society that i really started singing in my higher register it was all like really low calm stuff the range is insane and it just reminds me of how bad a singer i am in the shower trying to keep up with your music but uh <laughs> you know speaking of of berkeley i guess it, you know i'm kind of curious too because it makes me think about the other band that i kind of think of that's kind of infamous from being there is dream theater and i was kind of curious about that did you all end up graduating from there from berkeley and was there any sort of lore about like say a band like dream theater or the billions of other famous people who have graduated and gone on to big careers, you know, having been students there? You know, I would definitely say people graduating from there or uh, alumni or quote unquote uh, honorary alumni, it's all a good marketing 
standpoint for the school to get people to come to it. But what I would say is like, once you're there, you start to realize that like music school is a bit of an oxymoron because music is all about creation and creativity. And that's not something anyone can really teach you. It's something you kind of have to teach yourself. So when you get there, there's all this structure and technical learning, but none of it tells you how to try to find your own sound, how to express the feelings that you have in a tangible way. And that is kind of like the misconception that when you get there, all of a sudden you're just going to be great and, or that you have the potential to like, because you're at this prestigious music school, you're going to do something in music or you're going to do something awesome. And when I joined Dead Poet Society is when I kind of realized that it's, it's kind of like, oh, this school is, the classes aren't really what this whole place is about. It's more about being around a community that can pursue music. But that's the weird thing is that there's this weird dichotomy between uh, like people who believe in the school's curriculum and then the people that just don't care. <laughs> and, <laughs> and for the most part, musicians fit into the category of not caring, but it's very easy to feel competitive because everybody that's coming to that school with the quote unquote best in their hometown. And then you get to a school where it's all of a sudden everybody's on the same playing field and it can get really competitive and you can lose sight of what music is about, which is just a building a universal connection and that there is no central like uh, objective to art. It's just, it's just an expression of emotion and your whole objective is to get as close to that pure emotion and feeling as possible because you find a lot of truth in that. I would say that the lure to get you there is definitely in the musicians that you admire and you're like, oh, well, they went there, so I should go there. But once you get there, it's not the classes. It's really just stepping away from the whole ego that is that school and the pretentiousness that a lot of kids exude from just thinking that they are the best and they're the next John Mayer, really stepping back from that and just remembering why you play music because it makes you feel something. It makes you love it. You love performing and really focus on that. I love that and, and interesting on so many different levels. Like I can relate a little bit on my side of things, like having gone to college for radio did absolutely zero for me. I, I, I figured out, I spent my time yeah. and en- ended up graduating, but I got more experience out of passing out bumper stickers after concerts for radio stations and having my foot in the door towards getting on the radio than I did ever learning anything in a classroom. So I totally relate to that. That is, I mean, that is 100% true. It's just like you're in a career You're in a creative career that nobody cares what you're doing except for you for like the first, however long it takes you to get to the point where you're at. The only person pedaling the bike, the only person moving the car is you. And so, and so no curriculum, no class is going to, is going to teach you to just go out there and just start building it. It's, It's almost not necessary. Yeah. Just, it isn't necessary. Just get to work, just get creating, get producing, get, you know, get after it. Just get after it really is is the bottom line. You know, another really interesting thing I wanted to touch on with your band and kind of learn about that is interesting. No rules for the band when it comes to writing and creating music and also no fretboards. (laughs) I wonder if you Mm, could kind of tell that story because that also kind of grew out of the college times. Yeah, that grew out of the college time. Yeah, no, we we don't, we play a guitar that um, was basically ruined in uh, high school by Jack and, and our original bassist, Nick, when they 
Jack got this guitar, this like metal guitar for his birthday. And as I understand the story goes, you know, because our original bassist and Jack grew up in the same hometown. They've been best friends since they were like 14. And uh, I guess a couple days after getting this guitar, they were like having some sort of creative ADD moment. And they were like, what would it sound like if we took all the frets off? And they took all the frets off and they were like, ah, we ruined the guitar. And then they never played it again. And then come like a few months into me joining the band, Jack was like, yeah, I got this guitar back home and I was playing it the other day. It sounds kind of cool. I'm like, maybe we should like try writing something on it. He brought it up and he was showing me, he was like, yeah, you can't play it like a regular guitar. And it kind of has this cool, weird sound to it. And I was like, yeah, we need to make something with this. And first song we ever ended up making that we actually released with that guitar was a song called Low Air. From that point on, it just unlocked this way for us to write that gave us the, the feeling and the vibe that we were looking for. And so we've kind of always used it since. Is that how you get those like almost gritty, dirty, industrial sounds? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we play with a lot of we play with a lot of tones. You know, we do all of our tones kind of in the box, like on the computer, because it just you know you don't get the best sounds, but you can get way you have way more options to find uh, weird tones, and you can find tones that complement the weird sludginess of that guitar. Uh-huh. And uh, just through years of writing with it, we're starting to come into our own. Uh, with that. I, I love it, man. And I want to gush all about the album for a second. But first, I want to uh, kind of talk about there's n- kind of no way not to this whole pandemic and kind of the maybe plus or minuses of recording and releasing the exclamation album. Kind of walk me through it. Was the album already done when the pandemic hit or were you still in the midst of writing and recording? But kind of walk me through that timeline as we get into the new album. I think we got kind of lucky in the fact that we were putting the finishing touches on all of the recording when the pandemic hit. So we only had like a couple like drum parts to finish out and we didn't need to run studio time for vocals. Cause we do those at Jack's house or JC rather. And so we started on the mixing process while we were kind of finishing up the rest of the small little details of the recording. And uh, a guy named Tom Dalgetty who uh, actually mixed my, one of my favorite albums of all time, which was uh, Royal Blood's. Uh, first album and he mixed their second album I believe that was pretty something that was wild when our when our A&R was like hey Tom Dalgetty said he'll do it and we're just like what (laughs) and we're on the phone with him we're on the phone with him with like an initial meeting he's telling us about like how uh he was like yeah when he you know they said they had come on over and I was like oh that song just needs to be what it is and I'm just like listening to him just geeking out like whoa you were there when that happened but he and I and Jack kind of went back and forth for, you know, most of the beginning of the pandemic getting the album mixed and then it took a couple months but we but we got it finished and he lives in the UK so regardless of the pandemic it was it was going to be an email and texting conversation constantly anyway so yeah it didn't really affect us in that whole in that whole process where it did affect us and this is kind of a universal problem amongst all musicians right now is the touring aspect yeah of course of course we couldn't tour yeah you know, and, and everything that we had planned for the year just disappeared. It was just everything was no more. Then, you know, we had to kind of keep pushing back the album because COVID was slowing down the just process for everybody out there from produ- producing vinyls and, and 
marketing and getting, you know, just everybody was scrambling to figure out what was going on. So we had to keep pushing it back and pushing it back. And we wanted, we kind of wanted to push it back too, because we wanted to get as close as we possibly could to when touring would potentially start again. And uh, then it was just that balance of, of like, okay, the album is ready to release. We've got the press, we've got everything ready to distribute. Let's just stick with this deadline and then we'll release it. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to really gauge how much the pandemic right now is affecting us without touring, but the fall is looking pretty good. The fall is looking pretty good for, for shows. So, um, we have, we have a lot of stuff lined up. Good. That's what I was going to ask, because it does start to feel like there is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel here, you know? There is. I, I, I mean, there is. I think everybody, no matter where you fall in this political spectrum, is so done with this period of time. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I just feel like everybody's just like, no, 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 no. Shows are going to happen at the end of this year. We're going to make it happen. And uh, I think everybody's just ready to get out there again. So... Yeah. I'm hopeful about it. I'm dying for a concert. It's definitely time to rock. Uh, I wanted to geek out a little bit ab- about the album. Dude, I'm literally blown away. And as a guy who talks about music for a living, I, I was literally speechless the first time I, I dug into your album. I found it impossible. I started texting all my friends, my wife going, oh my God, you just have to listen to this band. I don't even know how to, to describe <laughs> it. You know, usually when I talk to a band, I play a song or two and I feel like there's like at least four that I have to play and I don't even know if I'm still doing justice in describing the band if, in playing four songs off of the album, but I love that it's just kind of a strap in for a roller coaster ride and I, I guess that's that was the mission statement, right? To create music that took all these left turns and that hadn't been created before yeah yeah i think that was something that we kind of had in mind because that's kind of how we write in general is you know we we very very much value the art over everything else it's like let the art dictate the art and so when we start writing a song all we care about is whether or not we think it's good doesn't matter if it fits into the genre it doesn't matter if it fits into like the sound that we wrote in the previous song it's just like well do we like the song do we think it's good okay cool then let's keep it and what you end up with is an album that all of it sounds like us all of it sounds very much dead poet society but it's it's a wide array of 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 the genre itself i mean we have like a folk song to like more of our like heavier sludgy kind of stuff and then more to not classic rock but just straight up alt rock to blues kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and we were worried about it not fitting together, but now that, you know, once we had all the songs in order mixed and we listened through, we thought, yeah, this actually does work. Okay, cool. I love it, man. Like I said, it, it's just like a roller coaster ride and, and you don't know what's going to happen next. And and it's just such a fun ride. Although I do have to say, I don't think I've ever asked this before of a, a band, all the bands I've talked to over the years. Is there any chance that your album is available at Walmart? Because I, as a radio guy, certainly need that PG-13 version of the uh, yeah. of the album. Otherwise, I'm going to have to spend a lot of the time editing. Was was cursing necessary to make to make your exclamation point lyrically? You know, the thing is, I try to write lyrics the way I talk. And I think that's how everybody does. There's no objective to, you know, like, oh, I can't swear. I can't swear. It's all about letting the art dictate the art. If, you know, saying the F word uh, gets the point across, then it does. And if, and if it's the way I would say it, the way I'm going to write it. And I apologize because <laughs> I'm making your life more difficult. But, uh, but you know, you can't, you can't censor for the sake of censoring. And, 
your objective is to to say something that is very true to you. And in the human experience, something that is very true to you is also very true to a lot of other people. And the closer you can get to that truth, the more people you connect with. And, you know, that's what it's all about. And so that's why we write the lyrics the way we write. But uh, we do have clean versions of our songs. I'm sure that if you if you email the label, I'm sure they can get those over to you. Save you some time. Sweet. I'd appreciate that. But I totally get it, though, because I think you're 100% right. Your lyrics, it feels like you're almost reading a script, a, a conversation, like no matter what the song is it's about breaking up with somebody, it, you feel like you're in that moment. And I totally get having to use that lyrics. It's just a occupational hazard for me. But I uh, wanted to touch <laughs> on that on that point. And I, I'm curious, too, was there like lyric writing classes at Berkeley? Is that where some of that comes from? Um, yeah, there were lyric writing classes at Berkeley, but once again, it's, it's not the, it's not the classes that really are the benefit. It's, you know, cause it was the thing about lyric writing classes at Berkeley and it always frustrated me so much was it was just, there's a lack of realness and it's sacrificed for being kind. And whereas, you know, if, if, when you go up and play a song at the end of everybody playing a song for whatever the assignment was that week, everybody would clap. And I was like, and if I went up, I went up there and I play a song and I'm just like in the back of my head, I'm like, I know this is absolutely awful. And everybody claps at the end. Like, what are you doing? Stop <laughs> clapping. Right. Tell me it's bad. Let's go over this so that we can actually improve because like, it's important to be critical of your art, but not yourself. It's, it's important to make that distinction. Being in a room full of other people that are interested in writing as well, you can gauge the room's reaction instantly. I mean, it's on everybody's faces. But unless they communicate why they had that reaction, you don't really know where you stand. And you don't really know maybe if they could give you a piece of feedback, it would either ring true or not. It could be something in the back of your head that you're not acknowledging, but you know is there. So no, I don't think the lyric classes did much except for just offer practice in like lyric writing, you know? I think it was it was more so just doing it, just doing it and constantly seeing where you could improve and how you could get better. I think what I said at the beginning too, learning all the rules just so you could break them all. <laughs> Feels like yeah, that's what exactly. happened too. You know, I want to uh, touch on one other thing as we you had kind of touched on touring and looking towards the fall for that. Kind of curious and wanted to talk about live stream. You guys did do a live stream and I'm curious if it was kind of one and done and I'm sure you saw that uh, story earlier this week where Live Nation teamed up with Veeps and they equipped over 60 venues with live stream technology so now artists can just flip a switch when they go into a venue if they want to but wanted to get your thoughts on live stream. Uh, I would say this about live streaming. I think it's a good substitute for now. I definitely think it's a good substitute, good or the best substitute available at the moment. I would say that absolutely nothing replaces a live show. Absolutely nothing replaces a live show. And I think that everybody feels the same exact way. Because sitting at home with a beer and some chips, watching your favorite band play, it's one thing. And, but you know, it's, it's about as entertaining as another YouTube video <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's edible bite-sized content. It's just like when live shows come back, I could see maybe the reason why Veeps and Live Nation are partnering that way is that when live shows do come back, there's now an extra stream of revenue of recording that live show and being able to stream that out to people just sitting at home. So now you have another avenue of people getting to tune into something. But people are going to come out to shows no matter what. I don't think that's something that's ever going to be replaced, like, you know, going to the movies or versus Netflix. I just, there's, there's no way to truly experience 
that energy of having a million drunk people around you all <laughs> going wild and complete lack of self-awareness because you're just so into the into the show and having fun and just the energy between the two. You, that's something you can recreate through screen. Yeah, but, but what about just out of curiosity, you as an artist, say you're doing a, a tour in the fall and it's a headlining run through clubs and you're, you got them all sold out. You could flip the switch and let people live stream them who can't buy tickets and at least they're getting to still experience the show. That's, you know, that that is that's kind of rolling into what I was talking about, how like once touring starts back up, you'll have that available option. And, you know, yeah, it's not it's not a live show, but it is something it is something that people can tune into who, you know, might be at work or can't come to the show or whatever like that. It's a good alternative. Yeah, it's interesting. I I was like you. I just kind of thought of like, oh, well, it's just going to tide us over during these times while people can't tour, but once touring comes back, then it's done and over with. But now with this whole thing coming out, uh, kind of interesting and head-scratching, so I wanted to get your take on that. But uh looks like live streams are here to stay for for a while, at least. I think, yeah, I think they're probably here to stay. I don't think, as maybe kind of like a um, an attribute to live shows, but I don't think they will ever replace live shows. No, for sure, for sure. Jack, I appreciate all the time. I just wanted to uh, uh, get a l- couple last things, get your opinion on a couple things. We're a old school radio station that uh, still does mandatory Metallica, where we play uh, three Metallica hmm. tunes. I'm certain that's a band that uh, at least has come across your radar. Curious how you discovered them, and you're, I imagine you have to respect them as a band or a brand that they've built over the past 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our bassist was actually a massive, massive Metallica fan, our original bassist, Nick. And so that was how I became familiar with their music. Cause, cause when we were in the car, it was Led Zeppelin, Metallica or the Misfits. And, uh, <laughs> and so I kind of just by being around him became familiar with their music. But you know, when I was growing up, I actually didn't have that wide array of musical, uh, exposure. My parents pretty much listened to Chet Baker, Earth, Wind and Fire and like Frank Sinatra. Like those are the three <laughs> artists that I spent my entire childhood listening to. And so it wasn't until I got into high school that I really started to like discover music. And even then I talked to my friends and stuff and they're all talking about these albums of these old classic rock bands and all this stuff. And I'm like, I've never heard any of this stuff. So I'm still like discovering that kind of genre and that kind of sound. But Metallica, I mean, the one concert they had that they played in Russia, like right, right when the Soviet Union fell, that is an insane, I mean, just watching the energy there. Oh, it's so, oh, it's so awesome. Do you have a, a song that comes to mind when you think of Metallica? Do you have a, a favorite song from them? <laughs> I mean, it goes on generic, but the one song that I discovered when I was in high school looking for was Enter Sandman, like everybody. Of course. You know? And uh, so that just shows how basic my knowledge of Metallica is. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And a great song is a great song, right? Yeah, that is true. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the time, Jack, and and the great tunes. And like I said, can't wait to see you out there on the road. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m. 
a.m. to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.